From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Wednesday, January 19th. Uh, Good morning, and welcome to the first day of the 2022 general session of the 64th legislature. Opening day of the 2022 Utah legislative session. On Tuesday, state lawmakers outlined their priorities for the next 45 days. House Speaker Brad Wilson laid out some key focus areas. Those include education, water, affordability, and maintaining the Utah way. In addition to being visionary, principled, and collaborative, the Utah way is responsible. The Utah way demands we exercise wisdom and that we use the resources we have to improve the lives of the people of our state. House Speaker Wilson also outlined what the Utah way is not, which was met with applause from fellow lawmakers. It is not government overreach. It is not a nanny state, and it surely is not high taxes or burdensome regulation that saps the energy of our industrious people. Moab City hired a lobbyist to advocate on their behalf at the Capitol. City council members renewed a $40,000 contract with Red Hill Strategies. Last year, Red Hill Strategies and Moab's elected officials lobbied state lawmakers for more control over UTVs and ATVs on local roads. A bill came forward from this effort but died in the Senate. Local ATV and UTV regulation is not an outline priority for Moab this session. City documents indicate the lobbying firm will advocate for federal infrastructure funds and coordinate with the Utah League of Cities and Towns on shared legislative priorities. Unlike last year, Grand County has not engaged a lobbyist this session. You can stay updated on the Utah legislature at le.utah.gov. The federal infrastructure bill will include billions for cleaning up orphaned oil and gas wells across the country. Some of those funds will likely come to Utah. Justin Higginbottom reports on how many orphaned wells we actually have. At a White House press conference yesterday, infrastructure czar Mitch Landrieu said the administration would focus on plugging abandoned wells in the country. Those are wells that don't produce and which operators have walked away from. Here's Landrieu at that meeting. The law includes $4.7 billion to clean up orphan well sites, plugging, remediation, and restoration activities. So what does this mean for the people of America? Millions of us, millions, live within a mile of hundreds of thousands of orphan and abandoned wells that leak and spew. These wells jeopardize public health and safety by contaminating groundwater, seeping toxic chemicals, emitting harmful pollutants, including methane. This well capping program also creates jobs and will revitalize rural economies in places where people are directly affected by a transitioning economy. So far, Utah, along with 25 other states, have applied for some of these funds to help plug wells. But one issue is finding out just how many exist. In a memo this month, the Department of the Interior doubled their estimate of abandoned wells. Officials say there are more than 130,000 compared to only 56,000 reported in 2019. That's probably why you've seen this increase in wells identified by the Interior Department, because they went back and looked at it a little closer, and they're still in the process of looking at it. And so 
they finally started to focus on it. And unsurprisingly, that's brought forward more than sort of the handful they had identified. That's Landon Newell of Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. He says officials lack a clear standard for classifying abandoned wells. What the state lists as orphaned is different than what BLM lists as orphaned, which creates a huge mess. And so I think part of what you'll see over the next few months is the Department of the Interior trying to kind of come into line with these states. The state's Division of Oil, Gas, and Mining estimates only around 70 orphaned wells in Utah. But Newell thinks that's an underestimate. And as agencies look closer at the data in the coming months, the number will likely rise. The Center for Western Priorities reports around 70% of oil wells in the state produce less than 10 barrels per day. They're known as stripper wells. There's also around 2,900 shut-in wells that have temporarily stopped producing. Those aren't abandoned now, but could be in the future. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. As the climate continues to dry and warm across the West, fire mitigation efforts such as forest thinning are becoming more important. But the wood often ends up in a landfill or otherwise wasted. One company in Durango, Colorado, is working to change that. Sarah Flower, with our partners at KSUT, visited their facility to learn more. Timber Age Systems Incorporated is the first producer of cross-laminated timber, or CLT, in the Southwest. CLT was developed in Europe over 20 years ago as a replacement for steel and concrete walls, floors, and ceilings in large-scale buildings. It's made by gluing boards together in alternating layers at right angles to one another. And what makes TimberAge unique in their CLT process is that they use 3-inch ponderosa pine that's been sourced from fire mitigation on both public and private lands. This technique is more often used in urban settings. Andy Hawk, one of the co-founders of TimberAge and his team, work diligently in a small facility located in a remote area of Durango while they develop a system of how to create more CLT buildings in rural settings. What we've been working on is how do you shrink the whole process to be able to use smaller trees from fire mitigation, beetle-killed material, um, substandard saw logs, things that don't sort of meet the commercial needs for dimensional lumber for 2x4s and 2x6s and 2x8s. We're trying to use that material that isn't used in those processes. And so we've had to sort of shrink the traditional form factor for cross-laminated timber. But what it opens up is the ability to use this material in smaller buildings that are more common in rural communities. The evidence of the efficiency for CLT is mounting in some of the bigger settings, but Hawk says that information is still needed for these small-scale projects. It's been proven dramatically that CLT-based buildings can have environmental performance that are 70 to 80 percent more efficient, so it requires far less energy to heat and cool and maintain an environment within the structure. It's also been demonstrated that solid wood mass timber buildings have higher air quality within the building themselves, but that's been at a very urban scale, and there are no data to demonstrate how that looks at the rural scale, and so we're climbing that hill right now. Part of that uphill battle is the need to build more. TimberAge has received an over $400,000 grant 
from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment Recycling Resources Economic Opportunity Program to build a nearly 3,000-square-foot facility in La Plata County that Hawk says could expand the company's capacity nearly four times what it is now and help increase their use of locally harvested ponderosa pine. The vision for growth behind Timber Age is to find communities and partners that are interested in having sort of a micro-manufacturing facility that works directly with them in their community and with their forest. So yes, we believe we're ready to grow. The grant that we just received from CDPHE is going to allow us to build our own CLT-based factory and quadruple our current production. But that's about as big as we see ourselves getting right here in Durango. And so then is it a facility in Montezuma County or is it a facility in the San Luis Valley or somewhere further up the western slope? Um, And we're talking with an organization in California that from an environmental, like an actual ecosystem standpoint and a forest standpoint is not all that different than southwest Colorado about the potential to build a plant in the northern Sierra. Hawk says that designing in building with integrative CLT system can offer 40% faster assembly with 25 less percent expenses and is net zero ready. Part of the success of Timber Age for Hawk in adopting these new systems is not only a learning curve, but also partnering with innovative professionals, local builders, architects, all while working closely with the U.S. and Colorado Forest Service. I'm Sarah Flower. This story is part of a collaboration between stations of the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition. Reports highlight the transition from fossil fuels across the Mountain West. And that's the KZMU News for Wednesday, January 19th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.